You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. This is what it says. A lot of grandparents think that being known as grandma or grandpa sounds too old. At age 76, John Baginski takes long road trips on his motorcycle, kayaks on the river near his home, and bicycles hundreds of miles a year. I'm an active guy in good health, says Bozinski. So don't call him grandpa. It reminds me of my grandparents who did very little, he said. Every time I would go over, they were just sitting on the sofa. Shortly after the birth of his first grandchild, Bozinski decided he wanted to be called Papa John. Like the restaurant chain. And the irony of that, irony of that is nothing says active lifestyle like bad pizza. But uh, <laughs> for me, he says, Papa Joan connotes my senior status plus my individual identity. So like Baginski, many grandparents today recoil at the idea of being called grandma or grandpa, preferring names that sound younger. In an informal poll, hundreds of grandparents revealed their chosen names. There were playful ones like Gigi, Suki, Lala, Maggie, and Cha-Cha. That's a great one. <laughs> Others adopted derivatives of grandma and grandpa like Grams, Grandma, Glamma, G-Paw, and Poppy. Yet others invented one-of-a-kind names that reflect their personalities such as Go-Go, Bunky, Chief, and Honey Birdie. <laughs> of course, many grandparents... And please hear this if you go by grandma or grandpa. I, I, I do not mean to offend, especially at Christmas. Of course, many grandparents happily stick with tradition. I'm proud to be called grandma, says Karen Lester. I'm senior aged, but I take care of myself. I'm full of energy and strength, and I feel decades younger. Jim Barr chose a name unlike any other. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> Grandsire the Magnificent. <laughs> If I had read this article before grandkids, oh, I'm just pops, but that is Grandsire the Magnificent. It's a playful name, but not a joke, he says. Being a grandfather should have a sense of authority. I wanted to establish the concept that there's another generation above their parents, a generation that should be honored, Grandsire the Magnificent. The article says his wife rejected his suggested name for her, Grandmother the Benevolent. So... So the entire article focused on the new generation of grandparents, and the entire article made this point, that today's grandparents believe that what you are called reflects who you are. They didn't want a name that sounded old to them because they believe that what you are called reflects who you are. And according to the Christmas texts in the Bible, this is true of Jesus as well. For this is what Matthew one twenty three says of him. Uh, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. His name describes him perfectly. What he's called uh, expresses who he is. Jesus is God in the flesh, and the angel told Joseph in that verse, that he is God with us. Jesus is God come to us 
as one of us. Now, while his conception is miraculous, the text said the virgin shall uh, give birth, or the virgin shall conceive, rather. The virgin shall conceive. His conception is miraculous, but his birth was very normal. She shall bear a son. Uh, Jesus was evidently born among animals, for uh, Luke tells us that Mary placed him in a manger, which is a feeding trough. And if you had been there that night and had seen the baby, you would have seen a very normal baby, a baby who was hungry and needed to be fed, a baby who cried, a baby who needed to be warmed. For Luke gives us this detail that they wrapped Jesus in swaddling cloths. But the Bible also says that this human baby, fully human, is also fully God and is called God with us. John says the same thing that Matthew says here, but uses different words. This is what John writes in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory." Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John begins by telling us that the Word, his term for Jesus here, was with God and that the Word was God. And that is why verse 14, the last verse there, is so mind-blowing. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became human in Jesus and came to us, came among us. This is the, uh, just the astounding truth of, of Christmas, that the eternal entered time, that the uncreated one took up residence in Mary's womb, that the voice that spoke all things into existence, this verse says, the voice that spoke all things into existence became the voice of a baby crying in a stable. The almighty ruler of the universe was born as a helpless baby. That's the, that, that's the narrative story of Christmas, and it, it leads us to ask, why? Why would that happen? Why did Jesus do this? And John tells us in the passage that Jesus, uh, God, is full of grace and truth. He's truth because he comes to reveal the one true God. He's called the Word. What is a word? Well, a word is an expression that reveals something. And Jesus is the very express person of God who comes to reveal God to us. He's also full of grace because the message of Christmas is not that we sought God or that we reached up to God. The message of Christmas is that God came down to us, and that is grace. He comes into our broken world, the Bible teaches us, in order to make all things new. Our world is broken, and we all know that. That's, that's not even up for debate. We live in a world that is broken. But it's the world as, as it was not, not as it was created. We live in a world that's not the world as it is supposed to be. We see the way the world is supposed to be at creation when God creates a perfect world and 
creates the first couple, Adam and Eve, who flourish living a perfect life and perfect relationship with God and perfect harmony with one another. And so for the first two chapters of the Bible, it is absolutely glorious to see the first couple working in the garden and relating together and with God. But in chapter 3, the wheels come off of the human story because rather than obeying their gracious creator, they choose to go their own way. They choose to do their own thing. And by doing so, it introduces sin and death into our world. And since that time, our world has been broken. And every one of us, the Bible says, have ratified their initial decision by choosing to go our own way and to do our own thing as well, rather than to follow God's commands the way he prescribes. But God is full of grace. So immediately after the first couple sins and falls, it's called the fall, God promises that he will send someone to restore creation, to make all things new. And Christmas is the fulfillment of the promise that God makes in the third chapter of the Bible. Jesus comes, God with us. He comes to reconcile us to God. You see, he comes as both God and man. And because Jesus is God and man, he can bridge the gap between us. And he does that between us and God, that is. He does that by dying on the cross, where he dies in our place, paying for our sins, our rebellion against God. He is raised on the third day to demonstrate that God has defeated death and has defeated sin. And all who turn from our sin, all who look to God in our brokenness and in our need, all who believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Savior who died and rose for us, receive forgiveness and new life, eternal life with him. God comes to meet our greatest need in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can receive this gift of eternal life by believing in what he did for us. Christmas is a glorious time of celebration. But you know, Christmas is also a tragic time. It's a tragic time because many maybe even many in the room this morning, don't see our need for God. Many don't see the need for God to come, to be Emmanuel, God with us. We don't see the need for God to rescue us. Many of us don't see the need to be restored to God, to be reconciled to God. Most people in the crowded city of Bethlehem uh, had no idea what was going on in that stable. They had no idea that God had come to us, that God was in their town, in the flesh. They had no awareness that they needed Emmanuel to come in the first place. And the same is true today. Many of us may be unaware of our need that Emmanuel has come to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2019, photojournalist Chris Arnade published a book called Dignity. It's a book filled with gritty, gritty photos and heartbreaking text that comes from interviews that he conducted with street people in various cities in the U.S. The people in the book are completely different than Arnaid's circle of friends, at least his past circle of friends. 
Uh, Chris Arnade had been a high-flying financier in Wall Street, made big money, lived the life of a wealthy New Yorker. But when the market crashed in 2008, he lost his job. And so what he did was he took his camera and he went into, first of all, New York and then other cities and just began to interview people that lived on the streets. He interviewed addicts, prostitutes, squatters. And Arnaid reports that as he began his venture, he was very clearly an atheist. Uh, He believed that the Bible was uh, just some book cobbled together by humans, and he gave it very little thought. He dismissed the Bible, and he dismissed anybody who believed in the Bible. This is what he writes. When I first walked into the Bronx photographing homeless addicts, I assumed I would find the same cynicism I had towards faith. If anyone seemed the perfect candidate for atheism, it was the addicts who see daily how unfair, unjust, and evil the world can be. But none of them are. Rather, they are some of the strongest believers I've met. I've been reminded that life is not rational and that everyone makes mistakes, or in biblical terms, we're all sinners, he writes. We're all sinners. On the streets, the addicts with their daily battles and proximity to death have come to understand this viscerally. Many successful people don't. I soon saw that my atheism, I saw my atheism for what it is, an intellectual belief most accessible to those who have done well. We don't believe in God because with our cash and our comfort, We don't need to believe in God, which is but another way of saying God only meets us in our need. The Bible teaches that we are all in need. Like Adam and Eve, we've all chosen our own way, and our sins separate us from God and often from one another. The coming of Emmanuel is good news because God is with us to rescue us, well, from ourselves and our sins. But God is, in Emmanuel, is only good news to those who see their need. Christmas is only glorious for those who see their need of rescue and have trusted the rescuer who has come to give us new life. We are all in need, whether a homeless addict in the Bronx or a successful business person in Frisco. We're all in need, and our need is much greater than any of us know. And I want to ask you this Christmas as we close, do you see your need? Are you aware of your need? Do you see behind all the songs of the coming of the Savior, someone needed saving? And that's you, and it's me. If you don't see your need this Christmas, then I want to challenge you to just pray a very simple prayer. This is the prayer. God, show me my need of Jesus. Just start there and see what God does to reveal to you the glory of Christ and what the Savior has done for you. I'm not trying to talk you into something if you don't see your need. I'm just asking you, would you go to God and ask him to show you your need and show you what Jesus has done for you? If you do see your need, then I challenge you to turn and trust him this Christmas. 
Um, for some, maybe you'd be doing that for the first time, coming to Jesus and believing him. You can do that by just expressing your heart to him and asking him to forgive your sin and to give you new life, to turn from those sins and to receive new life. For others of you who already believe that he is the Savior, the message is the same for all of us this Christmas. It's to come to him in our need and celebrate what he has done for us, to worship him, to confess our need afresh, and to thank God that he saved us in Jesus Christ. For when we see our need and we see our Savior, then we really can have a Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Christmas to all the grandmas and grandpas or whatever you're called. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org. 